Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, and ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money all through the day. Now, speaking of money, coming up in the Clark Rage, you know, you may have heard this ongoing saga about a person who won a lottery prize of more than half a billion dollars and isn't going to get it, apparently, because she won't reveal who she is. And there's a lot to share with you on that score. And later, every single day, every single day, in our off-air center where you can get uh, free off-the-air advice, we get one call after another after another about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Our producer, Kim, every single day has people wanting to go on the air talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And I need to tell you what's going on with Bitcoin and its competitors, what it means to you as a would-be speculator. Never, ever, ever use the word investing with me when you're talking about any cryptocurrency, but more about that later. Uh, It is time for something unusual. We're starting today with a... This is a Clark Howard ripoff alert. So Wells Fargo has just been hit with sanctions by the federal government, by the Federal Reserve, that are unprecedented, as best I know, in the history of modern banking. Wells Fargo is a continuing criminal enterprise that pretends to be a bank has now had strict sanctions put on it that will limit its growth moving forward. It's what's known as a collar, where Wells Fargo, because of continuing criminal behavior and a culture that rewarded it, is being clamped down tight and will not be able to grow its business. And what did Wells do? Well, they committed identity theft and other such things, opening three and a half million accounts that no one asked for or wanted. They cheated huge numbers of people that the total is still uh, under discussion. Maybe somewhere between 600,000 and a million people were cheated on mortgages and car loans. And this was an ongoing, continuous criminal conspiracy. Unfortunately... No one is going to prison. No one's doing the perp walk for doing reverse bank robbery. And I think about how unjust it is that, of course, if a bank robber goes into a bank and robs it, he or she will do hard time. It is a dangerous crime, and it must be one that is dealt with harshly. What I don't understand is why when the banker steals from you and me, He or she doesn't do hard time. But in the world of Washington, what's considered to be tough is limiting their growth and also one-fourth of the Wells Fargo board is being fired, the board of directors. Gosh, sometime I got to tell you 
what it works like when you're a member of a big company board of directors. You are paid money beyond your wildest dreams to just rubber stamp whatever management tells you they want. But there, are, uh, there's one other thing going on with Wells Fargo that came out yesterday in investment news, which is Wells Fargo is leading the push to try to destroy a fiduciary rule requirement that Wells wants their uh, financial people to be able to do what might harm somebody who comes to Wells for financial advice and guidance so that it will pad the pockets more of Wells Fargo. And this just came out yesterday. So the culture of Wells Fargo is still completely broken. I was at a doctor's office yesterday and gentleman who came in after me pulled out to pay for his visit a Wells Fargo car, credit card. And I couldn't resist. And I started talking to him. I said, do you just like being abused by your bank? And he said, what do you mean? I said, that's a Wells Fargo card. The stagecoach is robbing you again. And he said, yeah, yeah, they bought the bank I was with, and I just haven't gotten around to doing anything about it. Okay, now I'm going to give you your marching orders why you need to do something about it. Wells Fargo has now told the investment community, because their stock has been hammered since the federal sanctions were issued, that they are going to counteract the sanctions placed on them and the collar on growth by basically charging customers more. So you need to know that if you remain with Wells Fargo, you are going to suffer continuing bank abuse. And they are going to find every way possible to take advantage. What I've been reading is they're going to target small businesses and consumers with higher costs, higher fees. And so you are warned it is time for you to give them the boot. And the boot doesn't mean that you go to another giant monster megabank, go to Chase or City or Bank of America. Those, the four of them together with Wells equal about half a banking in the United States. Go somewhere else where you're not going to be subject to bank abuse. The best would be to go to a credit union or an online bank or maybe a small local bank. There aren't that many small local banks anymore. But do not leave yourself open to abuse by anybody in the banking sector. And there's something psychological. You and I can go somewhere, have a bad experience in a restaurant or a retail or whatever. We just don't go back. But for some reason, once we establish an account with the bank, we feel like we are forever their prisoner, no matter how rotten terrible they are, no matter how rotten terrible they treat us. That was really bad grammar. Anyway, the point is, do something. Do something and move your banking. We want to improve the caliber and quality of banking in the United States and the customer service that comes with it. We would follow the British and go to a system where when you change banks in Britain, all your stuff moves automatically instead of making it a hassle for you to change from one to another. Irene is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Irene. Hi, 
Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Irene. You want to talk about the right way to buy or lease a car? Correct. What's going on? Um, well, I have an 05 with about 200,000 miles on it. And Congratulations. Needing, thanks. Um, and it's needing like $4,000 worth of repairs. And I feel at this point it's probably not worth putting that money into the car anymore. Yeah, how much would the car have a value of at this point? Um, I think Blue Book put it at maybe 1200 Yeah, you definitely don't put any money into it. It's time for it to go on to its next home. Yeah. Um, and I've been trying to look for a new car, um, and I know I don't make a whole lot. And so when the dealership I was talking to was asking me, like, well, what can you do for payments and stuff? I said a certain amount, and they had said, okay, well, in order to do that kind of payment, you're looking at at least 60 months worth of financing. Okay, and what are they proposing as an alternative? Nothing really, because they had said that I can do the 60 month lease, and then I have an opportunity to buy the Wait, 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 wait. Did you say what you just, what I thought I heard you say, a 60-month lease? Yes. Oh, no, no. Don't go anywhere near that. You know, leasing, uh, you told me you have an 05 car. You obviously look at a vehicle as transportation, not as like candy that you got to get new candy every two or three years. Yeah. And so that would make that about as bad an idea as it could possibly be because you'd be stuck in a lease for five years and then what are you supposed to do after five years? They said I have the option to buy the car at the current value or oh. I can just give them the keys. And that, is, that is such a horrendous idea. I can't believe it. That may be the worst lease offer I've ever heard on the show. Okay. Leasing, when, when you do leasing, no lease should ever be for more than three years. Okay. And the only time somebody should lease a car is when you're the kind of person who likes new wheels all the time. Mm-hmm. So you don't fit that either. So yeah. what I would say, since cars are just transportation to you, that you look at a vehicle that's three or four years old, mm-hmm. that you could buy at a payment that fits within your budget. And so maybe you buy one that's... Um, let's say a 2014 or 2013 model, and you drive it for as long as it'll work in your life. The advantage for you is that in those first three or four years, the vehicle has likely lost 40 to 55% of its original value, okay. but still has probably 75% of its remaining lifespan left. Mm-hmm. And the only thing is you want to have a vehicle checked out by an independent mechanic of your choosing. Okay. And when you look at used cars, there are a couple of places I'd like for you to consider. Okay. There's one that's been growing by uh, leaps and bounds called Carvana. Okay. C-A-R-V-A-N-A. Have you heard of them? Uh, not really, but I think I found them when I was searching your site one day. And then the other has been around for a generation, more than a generation, CarMax. And with both of those, you have the right to buy a vehicle and return it for a period of time. No questions asked for a full refund. 
Okay. See, it's like an extended test drive. And during that extended test drive, have the vehicle checked out by a mechanic of your choosing. Okay. Make sure it's sound mechanically, and, and hopefully you're going to like it, and you should be able to get to a much more affordable uh, cost for that vehicle. Mm-hmm. So the idea that was presented to you uh, made me nauseous, to tell you the truth. That's what I thought. Yeah, because that's really, really harmful to you. That's somebody who was putting you directly in harm's way, I guess, to try to make a sale, and that's just not okay. Every time there's a big lottery jackpot, I'm like a spoil sport telling you what your odds are and why you really shouldn't buy the tickets and what a money loser it is to buy them. But what if... You defy me, you buy the tickets, and you win. Are you a winner? Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a clark Regis moment. A woman in New England who uh, is only identified in court filings by Jane Doe, who won nearly $600 million in the Powerball, says that she made a huge mistake. Because she lives in New Hampshire, and New Hampshire requires that you must disclose who you are as a winner. And a lot of states do this where they do a big publicity thing, and they want you holding that oversized check and have you smiling with that. And what are the states doing? They're setting you up. Setting you up. It's a cynical thing to try to sell more tickets, and the lottery officials in the states don't care at all about the fact that they're putting you in danger for your safety, for your life, as you probably heard. There have been crimes against people who've been publicized as lottery winners where they've suffered violence or death. And you need to know that, that the lottery officials do not have your best interests at heart when you're looking at buying a ticket. But forget them for a minute. Most of the time, it's not going to be physical violence or anything like that. It's going to be con artists or unsavory, sleazy financial people that separate you from your money, which has happened again and again with the lottery. So if for some reason it's fun for you to go lose money buying lottery tickets, keep doing that. But this has got to change with the states making you disclose who you are. Because nothing but danger to the money or to you personally will follow. Plus, gosh, you know what's weird about being a lottery winner? You do a 23andMe test or you do Ancestry.com, you find out you have all these distant cousins everywhere. You win a lottery, it turns out you have like a million cousins that you didn't know you had. Because everybody comes calling And it is not a pleasure, it's a pain. And I believe it is a curse to win one of those big jackpots. So there I go again, pouring cold water on your fun. I'm going to do more of that in just a few minutes talking about Bitcoin. (laughs) Joel, let's do an Ask Clark here. All right, Clark. Joe wrote in, he says, I love your podcast. I was wondering if you know any online investing courses where I can learn more about investing. Well, you know, I used to have one I really, really loved that has gone stale, that was 
uh, program that went in series called Investing 101, Investing 201, Mutual Funds 101, and all that. And that was one that I, I really loved. And we have a guide that I put together that is a very basic guide to investing because I find that for a lot of people, if it gets too involved, you get overwhelmed. So I've tried to make it really, really simple. But I actually need to reach out to the brilliant writer, Kathy Kristoff, and find out if there's a way to bring back alive her investment series, which was the best online guide I remember ever seeing about how to handle investing your money. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, which is here for you with advice and information so you can pack a punch in your wallet. Clark.com is our main website. You can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I mentioned earlier that Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies have been something that has generated a lot of anger towards me over the last two years, I would guess. And that's because I've said all along that these are not real forms of money. If they were real forms of money there would be stability in their price. You know, the big financial story in uh, the business and investing world is the decline in stock markets around the world that have been down uh, maybe 6-7% over the last week. Over the last week, Bitcoin alone has been down nearly 40%, and it's doing better than many, uh, probably most, of the cryptocurrencies. If that term is unfamiliar to you, cryptocurrency is made up money. It's where people who don't believe in government, don't trust institutions, have established alternative money that is internet-based. And there are people that say, I just don't get it, that I need to read this, I need to watch this video, whatever, whatever. The reality is, is that Real money can be used to buy real things routinely and has stability in its value. And the cryptocurrencies don't. That's why they are strictly a speculative endeavor. And I was in a store the other day that somebody asked me, just as I was walking into the store, asked me about Bitcoin because they had lost 60% of their money in it they apparently bought near the peak which i guess was a month ago or something two months ago and they're now way down in value and asked me what i thought and i said pretty much what i just said to you that it's a speculative thing it needs to be the money you have left in it's got to be money that you're not going to be upset if you lose And he said, well, I'm staying in. I'm going to see what happens with it. And, you know, Bitcoin right now is, what's its value now? Like six, 7,000 a Bitcoin. And maybe it'll go to a million. Maybe it'll go to 100,000. That doesn't mean that it is a legitimate, stable form of value. Because if it was, I could go in anywhere and use it, which I can't. Or use it to pay for things easily but the banks are so worried about people defaulting on credit cards 
because a lot of people on spec are buying cryptocurrencies on credit cards and expecting them to make so much money in it, they'll be able to pay off the credit card bill, and now people are defaulting on their credit cards. So the banks all over the place, not just in the United States, are saying, no more. You can't buy any of these things with your credit card because they don't want to destabilize the financial system. So you want to buy this stuff because it's fun? You want to buy this stuff with money that you don't care if you lose? Fine, and if you hit a big score, fine again. But just remember what money is. It's a method respected by others to buy and sell goods and services. That's basically, that is the most basic definition I can give of money. And every cryptocurrency fails that test because there is not transparency, there is not normal liquidity, and there's not stability. Other than that, they're great. Oh, by the way, if you want to join the chorus, go to Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and join all the discussions going on about why I'm thick in the head or whatever it is the reason why you feel I'm Looney Tunes with my opinion about the cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Keaton is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Keaton. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Keaton. So you have the travel bug. I do. So because I brag and reference on you all the time, I've been the one tasked to buy uh, my buddy five tickets to New Orleans. Um, so I've done all my homework, I think. I've read all the travel guide and set up fare alerts, but I'm just not sure when I should book. What month is your buddy going? So it's the last weekend of June. All right. You're so too right you're, Fourth of July. You're likely too early to do anything yet. And okay. when I think what's going to be the likely ideal time to buy that, and you'll probably see a pattern with the fare alerts, is probably in April. Okay. Because what happens is that a lot of times the fare sales that will cover the first part of summer aren't going to appear till after April Fool's Day. And we've already had a number of domestic sales that cover travel till about June 10th or June 15th. But that's just a, a sh- uh, just a tiny touch before we hit peak season pricing. And so that next wave of sales, it can always be a fluke sale where an airline puts a sale on to New Orleans, but the, the best likelihood is going to be sometime that first week or second week of April. But do you know your friend is violating a key rule of mine about travel. <laughs> and what is that? He's picked a destination. See, you never want to pick a destination. You want to go in June wherever the deal is. And well, who knows? It, <laughs> it could be it could be California or Vegas or Boston or somewhere overseas or whatever because the deals are so irregular and they pop up all over the place that I'm much more 
of a mind that I go wherever the bargain is and then figure out why I want to go there. Makes sense. So do you, last question, I won't hold you up. So do you have any idea of kind of like the price point roundabout I should probably look for? And where does your friend live? So lives right outside of Richmond, Virginia. Ah, okay. So with Richmond, it's an interesting puzzle. So uh, with Richmond, you don't just look at fares from Richmond. You look from Norfolk, you look at from Newport News, and if you really want to save money, you look from Dulles. Okay. Because, you know, from Richmond to Dulles without traffic is, was about 80 minutes? Around that, without traffic. Yeah. Well, without traffic, so that means 3 a.m. But anyway, <laughs> you don't want to just look from Richmond because there's too little air service and not enough competition to be able to get a good deal and as to what a good deal would be is anything under two hundred dollars round trip okay where are the price points right now uh right around 330 if you're not looking at the discount and i think they're like 290 yeah so that's not cheap enough uh, in my world so just give it some time and and tell your friend he's got to inconvenience himself Go wherever the best bargain is. Because, I mean, from Richmond, people in Richmond are used to driving over to Norfolk to fly somewhere or whatever. Mm -hmm. Dulles, maybe not so much, but it's likely going to save more money doing that. Charles is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Charles. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Charles. How can I serve you? I'd like to find out if you know how often furnaces and uh, central air units should be serviced. I've done a little bit of looking online, but, you know, you just really can't trust whose site you're looking at. If you're looking at the uh, furnace servicing people, of course, they're going to tell you every year to six months, and I hear every year, but I did not know if that was true. I also wanted to mention, I heard that you said that you pay $0.88 for toothpaste, and that uh, I was disappointed because I don't pay for toothpaste, deodorant, uh, shampoos, anything like that anymore. We get a bunch of Sunday newspapers and do couponing, and we get all that things, all those things for free. Razors, all of it. So me spending 88 cents on a tube of toothpaste is just not okay in your book. I should be paying zero. We get it for free after the after the cost of the coupons, or the, uh, the newspapers, of course, which we get those cheap also. So I always love it when somebody can <laughs> trump me on saving money. So good for you. Now, the, I'm going to tell you the answer. The book answer is just what you said on the HVAC, and that's to have it checked spring and fall. Mm-hmm. But if you have one that's newer, usually within um, five years, having it okay. checked maybe every other year is usually considered to be okay. And then after that, having an annual or twice a year inspection. Okay, ours is seven, and actually I don't think it's ever been done. So starting now, we should probably do it one year either way because it is seven years old. Yeah, definitely at seven, you want to have your system checked. And it's even though the industry wants you to do it twice a year, you may be just fine with once a year. Okay. What's more important to me with heating, uh, heating and air conditioning systems is that you have a contractor, a company, that you trust definitely 
and you don't want to wait till something's broken and frantically try to find somebody. That's what I wondered about. Having it serviced might actually help it not to break down in the wintertime or the uh, the heat of the summer. Yeah. Now, one thing that that I just push on my website is to make sure you're changing your filters regularly. Have you been doing that? Yes. Okay. Good. They're cheap. That's cheap insurance. Okay. So. Um, I know that I'm going to hear from people, Charles, that work in the industry that say that I've lost my mind not saying twice a year, and I look forward to your comments on that. And keep saving all that money, Charles. Free everything based on Sunday coupons. Eric's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Eric. Hi, Clark. How's it going today? Great. Thank you, Eric. You got a question for me about trust. I do, and I know it's one of your favorite subjects lately. I got one of those DNA kits for my birthday, and it sounds great, but I'm a little bit worried about data security and the risk that somebody someday could could get access to it. And it seems that the law is kind of behind the technology right now on this stuff. So I wanted to ask, do you have any tips or guidance for people who want to do it but would like to protect themselves, too, with some of the uncertainties? Well, you know, I live my life such an open book that I shared my results on the air, shared on TV and radio. I just said, this is what I found. This is my family history, and this is my medical and all that. And so you, you give all the information out. People have nowhere to go with it. And so if you concerned like that insurance companies would use it against you or a potential employer, or where are you concerned about the privacy aspect of the information from one of the, like Ancestry or 23andMe or whatever? So I have no immediate concern, nothing to hide, but just the, the general idea that, you know, if it's uh, insurance or if it's a healthcare um, institution, you know, there are people related to me. Is there any chance that I could potentially expose people? I might be a little um, extra cautious here, but with some of that uncertainty, I just would feel better if, if Clark was comfortable using their services. So I am completely comfortable doing it, and often I'm naive in this area. I'll just lay that out because uh, I, I try not to think the worst of people. And so the idea that finding out what medical conditions I might be at risk for, which is the greatest potential threat with uh, what could happen with somebody saying, well, we now know you have potential to have so-and-so, so we don't want to hire you. Um, th- I, I don't know that anything like that has happened, and I think there would be a very strong reaction if anything like that started happening. So uh, there's always, anytime you develop sensitive personal information on yourself like you would be by doing a swab and having it done there's always the risk that that information gets out in some way sure but as far as i'm concerned i don't care for me (laughs) and that's why maybe i should just not just talk about my results put them right on clark.com and let everybody see every potential medical condition i could have Yeah, fair enough. We'll see where all this technology goes, but I agree. It would be some great stuff to know. 
Well, Eric, thank you. And I appreciate the thought about the risk with it because I don't talk enough about the risk of information being in databases that people could breach. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asks it. What are we starting with? Clark Nalita wants to know, where should my son apply for scholarships? The absolute biggest place to go look for scholarships is the website fastweb.com. Your son goes there, registers at FastWeb, and then is able to find any of a number of pretty obscure scholarships. These are not the kind that will pay for your entire college education. This is where this group gives you $500, this other one 1000 this other one $300, because you fit through whatever their criteria are, and FastWeb helps you figure that out. We have a list of some of the smaller ones that you can also use to hunt for obscure scholarships on Clark.com. All right, Clark, Charles wants to know, do you have any recommendation on finding a reputable debt consolidation company? There's not such a thing as a reputable debt consolidation company. I don't believe in them. When you're in a position that you've got debts you're trying to deal with, debt consolidation is not going to be an answer. What is a better idea, I don't know exactly what your debts are, but if they're debts you're wheezing on, I'd like you to go take the time to sit down with a budget counselor and an affiliate of the National Foundation for Credit Counseling at nfcc.org. Most affiliates are free to sit down with you, and if your situation is assessed by them as being more severe maybe than you realize, they will probably help you design a payment plan with the people you owe money to that has some administrative costs to it, but not anything major. All right, and Ralph wants to know, what's the website I need to go to to get my free annual credit report? Annualcreditreport.com. And so you're allowed one free report each year from each of the major credit bureaus. Any site out there that claims that you can get a free credit report from them just by giving your credit card number, they're going to end up charging you not the real deal. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 